0: It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth, presented by Core Water. Hey, welcome in to the Stinkin Truth Podcast. Um, I am Mark Schlereth, alongside Mike Evans, Scott DeHuff, producing the show. Got to thank our presenting sponsor, the fine folks at Core Water. Hydrate with Core.com for more information. You're going to love this water. Perfectly balanced pH levels to make uh, to match your body's pH level of 7.4 crisp clean taste big blue cap that's core water hydrate with core.com Michael how are you my friend man we have football to talk about oh, I mean real goodness. football I mean yeah. well it's you know preseason football right. first of five preseason games but it was still football that we got to watch between Denver and Atlanta. It was exciting anytime the football anytime football's on I mean I'm locked in. I, I will tell you as a you know a former tenth round pick out of the University of Idaho like, you tell me it doesn't matter. Like, we all oh, appreciate the football. It doesn't matter. And, you know, and, and, like I always say, it doesn't count, but it does matter. And you watch the joy at the end of that Broncos game when Winfrey, the kid from CU, sixth-round draft choice, makes a great play on the ball, tips it to himself, scores a touchdown. And the, every guy on the field that played for the Broncos went bananas. Like, it matters to them. Making plays matter. You're trying to live out, like, I always say this, man, I got to live out my childhood dream. How blessed am I? From the time I was 12 years old, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a professional football player. That's it. Like, I had no no plan B, Mike. I mean, this was it. And, you know, you have to overcome a lot of injuries and a lot of different things that go on. But these kids are trying to fulfill their lifelong dream of playing in the National Football League. And I watch, I mean, I watch and I can, I feel it. I can sense it. It takes me back to being a young player. And so you may not like it and you may not get to see your stars play and everything else, but just understand the sacrifice that these kids are making and most of them are not going to make it. And yet they're laying it on the line. It takes a lot more courage to put your nuts out there, even if you're making mistakes and getting bashed and not playing well, than it does just to give up. And so I respect that. I always said going in for from, from me as a rookie, and this is preseason football in general, I said, listen, the only way I don't make a football team is because I'm not good enough. And I'll live with that. I'm okay not being good enough. I'm okay. I mean, these are the elite of the elite. But it's not going to be from a lack of effort. It's not going to be from, you know, me talking myself out of it. It's not going to be from making mental mistakes because I'm going to study. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to bust my ass. And if I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And there are so many guys that aren't going to make rosters this year because they'll talk themselves out of it. They'll be like, oh, my goodness, or I made one mistake, and one mistake will lead to two mistakes. Or they'll play careful. I don't want to make a mistake, so let me play careful. Coaches respect even if you make a mistake, they respect it if you make it at 100 miles an hour trying to shorten somebody's neck. And they'll look at at mistakes of aggression and say, I can live with a mistake of aggression. What I can't live with is a mistake of being passive. Mm. Is passivity a word? Can you say passivity? Sure, passivity. Passivity, we'll go with that. All right. so like for example, um, for those who watch the game, Brendan Langley uh, former draft pick of the Broncos as a cornerback, he's trying to transition to wide receiver. Right. but he was also doing a, he did a punt return, and it was one of those punt returns where you know he just came running up in traffic to try to make the the play during the regular season. Is that an example where hey, we expect you to do the the smart thing, let it bounce, stay away? But mm-hmm. in the preseason, when you're trying to catch the eye of the coach, right. you're trying to make that play of aggression. So even though it ended up being a muff. The coaches will look at that and say, hey, we we like that. Yeah, In the preseason, we like that. Right. They'll, they'll be like, hey, listen, man, you got to be smart on that. You can't have that mistake, blah, blah, blah. But we love your aggressiveness. We love the way you're attacking the football. We love the fact that you're trying to make a play. Let's learn from it, right, as opposed to a guy who never tries to make a play. There's this fine line between doing your job and not making mistakes and being aggressive and and kind of ha- playing you know balls out because that's what's going to get you recognized. So there's a fine line um, during this preseason, but I would just I would just say this, guys, watch it from that perspective because it'll change the way you watch preseason football. Watch it from the perspective of these kids are trying to live out a childhood dream, and most of them aren't going to make it. And remember that the average career still lasts only three point four years. So I just I like. I find great joy in that. I I just think it's. I think it's a cool thing. And so, as you watch preseason football, just kind of enjoy that. I'm gonna take off. Where I'm gonna take off. I'm going to Alaska for a while. So I'm gonna go up there for a week and celebrate my dad poolside's 80th birthday. He's you know still a freak show. He'll probably work me into the ground. I'm like, what are you gonna like? Uh, does he have a pro- Does he have projects like planned for you guys to work on together? Oh my dad will be building a wall. He'll be driving his tractor around. He'll be yeah, oh yeah. It just is like, and he doesn't even he like he doesn't expect help or anything. He's just out there working. That's all he does. It's just so yeah. I'm gonna pull up and there's gonna be stuff. Something he's he's gonna be doing something ridiculous. You know, swinging from a tree with a <laughs> rope tied around one wrist, and he's just swinging on one wrist like a. Like, he'd he like an orangutan up there <laughs> with a chainsaw in the other hand. You know, I mean, that's my dad. Been trying to get to this uh, top level of this tree yeah. for a while. i trying to trim up the top level <laughs> of this 90-foot birch. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that's poolside. He is an absolute freak show. Uh, so, so, But yeah. while you're watching the preseason games and you're watching these kids trying to t- make it, it's always kind of funny. You see the the veterans and, you know, they're just, you know, it's a night off. They're wearing their bucket hats and everything like that. But, um you know, eventually we turn to the stars. You know, eventually we we get to the players that matter uh, that will truly define this season. And, you know, you're talking about Atlanta. Uh, you know, have have you ever seen a more, uh, I guess, polite, cordial, public negotiation than the one that's going on with the Falcons and Julio Jones? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely not. And they're going to, I mean. I mean, they're I, coming out and they're saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to make them. We're going to get him paid. We're going to make them right. the highest paid. And so Michael Thomas just got this five-year, $100 million contract with 61 guaranteed. He's the highest-paid receiver in football. And I think the Atlanta Falcons just basically said, hey, listen, Julio, you're the best receiver in football. And we're going to make you the highest-paid guy in football. Let's just be patient and let's see where the dominoes fall with the other guys. And um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. They, they may even wait for um, if the Dallas Cowboys take care of Amari Cooper. Right, and they may. I mean, it it is. It's it's totally cordial. It's you know. I know that you guys are going to take care of me. You've promised to take care of me. I trust you. Dan Quinn runs that kind of organization. Dan Quinn's a a man of integrity, and um, I I really like the way he coaches his football team and kind of the philosophical approach to, um, you know, team first kind of approach. And and here's the thing about Julio Jones. You want to talk about a guy who is, if not the best receiver in football, well, I I will just say he's the best receiver in football. All right? You want to talk about a guy who busts his ass, who sets the tempo in practice with the way he works, who never says, he doesn't talk smack, he is not a diva, he goes to work every single day, he leads by example. Like this, in my estimation, this is the guy you want to reward. You know, not the guy that's going to complain about only getting four targets in a win, right? Like, we've, we've, the receiver position has grown to the point where they have such an overvalued kind of opinion of what they do that they could get a win where they only get four targets and they're pissed off. They could have a loss where they get 12 and they're happy. Like, I don't understand how it got to this point. But this is the point we're at. And from that regard or that standpoint, Julio Jones is a throwback. He's a complete and total throwback. And you talk about the receiving core that he leads. You know, with Calvin Ridley, the kid that was a rookie last year, Mohamed Sanu, who's one of the best football players in the National Football League. Forget about receiver. They they revere the person that he is, the way that he works, how he handles his business. And, and like I said, just the, the – kind of sacrifices he makes and he played the majority of the season last year he played hurt and he still played exceptionally well okay but it might be the the right thing to do but is it the right thing to do Uh, is it Mm. is it smart to pay overpay your receivers I I mean I've always felt these guys play a dependent position they're only going to be as good as the quarterback throwing them the ball and so if they're that dependent you know, do you, I mean, Michael Thomas has Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. Julio Jones has Matt Ryan. You know, would they be the same players if they were playing with, uh, you know, uh, Blake Bortles and right. Joe Flacco? Well, they and they wouldn't, right? And so, right well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They'd be the same players. They wouldn't put up the same numbers. Well, yes. Right? You know right, what I'm saying? Right. They'd still be open, yes. but Blake Bortles would, you know, dirt one to him. Right. right? I mean, that there's a there's a difference there. So, yeah, I think. Every player's dependent on all the other players. They're probably the most dependent. Right. right. Ten other guys have to do their job for them to see a football. So, so they're probably the most dependent of all. But the this is what I find fascinating about football in general. Like, they're really dependent. But the complementary nature of having a guy like Julio Jones and what he does for you, not only what he does for your quarterback, taking off pressure, 50 50 balls the things that he can do run by guys what he does for your running game because you got to keep a safety over the top of that like you, nobody wants to nobody nobody feels comfortable going hey Julio Jones one on one you know i i did a i did a game the weekend after thanksgiving 2 years ago where they played tampa and i want to say julio had in that game like 11 catches for 250 or 60 yards I <laughs> mean, he, he was Unfreaking coverable. And, you know, Tampa historically had been a, a real zone team, and he just ate, I mean, he just ate them alive. It was, it was special. And the thing I came away with watching that game, Mike, is you're talking about from an athletic standpoint, you're talking about the NFL. You're talking about the elite of the elite. Like everybody has unbelievable gifts athletically. And he was running around DBs like like it was like you ever when you were in high school and the varsity came down to scrimmage the J V and it was a bunch of freshmen and sophomores and you guys were all seniors and you just opened a can of whoop ass on them, you know? It's like, oh my God. It was like the red shirt freshman that would come in and play scout team when I was in college. <laughs> like, uh oh, somebody's <laughs> in trouble. We're gonna put this on you guys, right? And you're talking smack while you're doing it. Like Julio doesn't say a word. But he was running around, dudes, like it was the JV team that they were scrimmaging against. It was, it was mind-boggling. It was, it was literally like jaw-dropping to watch what he was able to do. So we we've got these receivers getting paid. Meanwhile, we got some running backs with their hands out saying, "What about me?" Yeah, you know, Melvin Gordon, his agent Demarius Bilbo. Go ahead, like and insert call a joke here. D Bilbo, D Bilbo Baggins. That's what we'll just call him Bilbo Baggins, Big Feet from the Shire. Yeah, and uh, Ezekiel Elliott and and Jerry Jones was just kind of like, you know, have you ever known me not to be able to make a deal? You know, so he's not worried about Zeke's timeline or anything like that. But you know, whereas these receivers are getting paid, I I I look at these running backs who want to get paid, and 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 Todd Gurley, I think, has become a cautionary tale for a lot of these teams. What happened to Gurley? You know, do, can you really trust these running backs once you've paid them the big money? yeah, it's it's interesting. I think there's there's two there's like two different trains of thought for me when it comes to Zeke and then it comes to Gordon. So Zeke, to me, is one of the best backs in football. And Jerry, understand what you've done in Dallas. You built your team around your running back. You took him fourth overall. You built a team that is, that is physical, that can run the football with this dominant offensive line. And you said, this is how we're going to win games. And then you come out, you know, when he wants his new contract and you say, hey, you don't have to have, you know, a leading rusher. Even though you've been the leading rusher two of three years that you've been in the league, you don't have to have a leading rusher to win a Super Bowl. But when you build your team to have a leading rusher, it probably would behoove you to have that leading rusher on your football team if you want to compete for a Super Bowl. You, you know what? I'm? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? You know what, Jerry? You don't need a superstar receiver to compete for the Super Bowl. The New England Patriots do it every freaking year. Every year. You don't have to have... But a, they also don't have a stud running back either. Right. You don't have to have... So, I would just say this. It depends on how you build your team, and you've built your team that way. Now, I understand you want to transition to more of a Dak Prescott-led team, but he benefits, again, the complementary nature of football. He benefits from having Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield, not only carrying the ball, being a battering ram, one of the great blitz pickup guys in the National Football League, and he catches the ball well out of the backfield. Like, you've built your team that way. I, you know what I think the real issue is? I think he'd get a deal. Now, it may not be the biggest deal. It may not be exactly what Todd Gurley got, but he'd be close. But Jerry Jones has gone to bat for this guy. This guy has had issues since he was in college. Domestic violence, getting in fights. You know, he's he's got some baggage that he's carrying with him. Jerry Jones has gone to bat for him. Jerry Jones has led the charge for him. Jerry Jones has fought the commissioner mm-hmm. for him. He has stood in his corner. And then with two years left on your contract, you're just not going to come to camp? And you're going to essentially air me out and say, I'm going to Cabo? Like, I think Jerry Jones bristles a little bit. And, and that dude's a competitive dude. Like He takes care of his players, but I think he's one of those guys. I mean, come on. Jimmy Johnson won back-to-back Super Bowls, and he got in a riff with Jimmy Johnson, and Jimmy Johnson said something derogatory about him in, 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 in that franchise. I know this. I've heard the stories. And what did, Jerry, what did Jerry Jones do? Dumped his ass and hired Barry Switzer. And won another Super and Bowl. And won another Super Bowl. So I think you have to understand who you're dealing with here. Um, I don't think Zeke comes from a position of leverage. He's got two years left on his deal. And think about the running back position, which this is why the collective bargaining agreement needs I mean, the the players association screwed the incoming first rounders. They just screwed them. We'll agree. Here's here's I'm negotiating for you and you are not yet in the league and you have no voice. So what did I say? I go, What's good for me? Well, I don't really like rookies. I don't like that they make more money than me, so let's absolutely screw them. So here's a rookie wage scale. You can't make more than this. And, oh, by the way, if you're drafting the first round, you get a fifth-year option. Oh, and that fifth-year option. Oh. And you're talking about a running back position where, I mean, come on. You're lucky if you survive four years. Yeah, think about this for, for Zeke. All right, we can make you play another two years under your first contract, and then we can franchise you for two more years. Like, you'll never see your second contract. So I don't think he's got a lot of leverage. I think who's got worse leverage than him is, is Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon's a nice back. I don't think Melvin Gordon's a superstar. Like, you look at the four years that he's played. Last year was the first year he averaged more than four yards a carry. He's always been in the threes. Last year he played 12 games. The only t- He's only played 16 games one season. Um, I understand he scored a lot of touchdowns and he caught a lot of footballs and all that stuff, and he's a nice back. But if I was looking at backs in this league, Mike, come on. It, it, top 10, okay, I'll give you top 10 at the end of top 10, but I'd take Alvin Kamara. I'd take, you know, quads. I'd take uh, Christian, McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey. I'd yeah. take Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. I'd take, I mean, there's, there's a, a litany of guys. That I would pick before would take that guy. But but the Chargers though have to have to decide what fight do they want to fight here. Because sure, they can I think it's I think it's well within their rights and it's probably smart for them not to commit long term to Melvin Gordon. For mm-hmm. all the reasons you just said. However, you are looking at this year, and this year you are universally regarded as a team that could, could compete for a Super Bowl. Correct. So can, can they win a Super Bowl without Melvin Gordon? That, that's my right. point. And and do you all of a sudden say, well, we're going to draw the line in the sand and we're going to go with a, somebody less established, cheaper? Okay. In the long run, it might be the smarter move, but will it cost you a chance to win a Super Bowl right. this year? I, I, think, I think, you know, you look at his agent, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> And I think they've overplayed their hand. They've demanded a trade, right? Which I think, one, from a value standpoint, I don't think anybody will look at him and go, okay, we'll give you a first rounder and we'll agree to do a big time, you know, a big time Todd Gurley contract. There's nobody's, he's had injury history, he's had microfractured knees. You know, you think, you think Todd Gurley, the big news was, well, he's got de- some degenerative arthritis in his knees. Listen, if you play football, everybody has degenerative arthritis in their knees. And now you've had microfracture surgery, which I've had a bunch of them. Like, that's a, that's a ticking time bomb, especially at that position. So I just don't think there's going to be a market for that guy out there not to have to sign him to a long-term deal and trade. I mean, you're not getting a first rounder for him. There's no way. I I don't think anybody would do that. But I I just think they've overplayed their hand. Now, maybe there's a Chris Harris Jr. situation here. In Denver, if you remember this offseason, he held out from their kind of mini camps or their OTAs. And then they came back and basically gave him three, three and a half million of free money. Like, here, we'll 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 make you you're not gonna be the the highest paid corner, but you're gonna actually get closer to where you deserve to be and this is kind of a one-year extension what if they came to melvin and said hey listen ma'am we're going to give you an extra three million bucks a year three and a half million bucks a year and you know you're going to be right up there instead of making whatever he's making you know you're going to be up there at seven or eight million dollars a year where you know the Devonte freeman's and and those guys are like i think that would be the only way you could solve this because if i'm if I'm the chargers and their gm i think tom Telesco's his name if I'm if I'm them, I'm not signing him to a long-term deal with the, the injury history and the things that have gone on throughout his career. And remember, here's the other leverage they have in Chargerland. They were 4-0 and in the four games he was out. I mean, they're a pretty damn good team. So I, I would just say neither of these guys have much leverage. Plus, I just – Le'Veon Bell, I think, was just a special case. That's a special dude, special – just special, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. In special more, in, in more ways. Than and he did it. He he held out, but I just questioned, he did, but he didn't get any more. He didn't really get any more money. And no. the jets and the jets were literally negotiating against the jets. I, I know, but which my, was my, so jetty. Exactly. That's so jets like. But my point is, is that I just until I see more examples, I'm going to really doubt the player's stomach to be able to sit out for an entire season right. and miss game checks. I just. I, it's until different, I see it, more of it, it I'm going to question their real will to do this. It's different than when I was playing. When you weren't making, you know, like some of these guys are making eight, ten million dollars a year or five million bucks a year, and you can you can stomach a year, but it's you know if you've got years in the league. But yeah, I think I think you know it's it's different in that regard. But I am with you. I don't think a lot of these guys are going to miss those game checks, and more importantly, miss a year of service. Right. So. Getting back to this uh, uh, Denver-Atlanta preseason game, um, buckle up, folks, because get ready and get used to hearing the term clear and obvious and to significantly hinder. Yeah. Because these P.I. calls and the fact that they could be reviewed, you know, poor, poor Terry McCauley was trying to explain to all of us. What... And, and he was as confused and as we were. And he was we as were. confused as we yeah. were. And I was just listening to it, going, you know, I, I like to consider myself a pretty, you know, astute guy. I can figure. Mm-hmm. I, I was thoroughly confused. Well, so... you should have been sitting in my chair at the Fox Summit. <laughs> because I was at the Fox Summit and Al Riveron, who's the head of officiating, um, was, was trying to explain it to us. And, and, you know, we're asking questions and he's saying things and he gets a little cantankerous. You know, he gets yeah. a little. He, he, and and by the way, Mike Pereira, who works for us, yeah. who used to be the head of Vision, yeah. challenges them on a bunch right, of stuff because right. Mike doesn't like the new rules. And it was it got a little hit. I was like, "Woo, ooh, ooh, this is exciting!" But yeah, those you know, here's the deal. Here's I think the one thing I don't think it'll I don't think it's going to change a lot. I don't think there's going to be a lot of calls that are reversed, Mike. Right? I think it's going to have to be you know very obvious, clear and obvious, and then. You know, and then uh, if they call it on the field and it's not clear and obvious and doesn't significantly hinder, so to speak, I, which, again, are two more subjective terms that you're putting to it as subjective call, right? So I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. They've had this in in Canada where they throw it every down. Um, or, I mean, they there's three down football, so they throw it every time. Basically, they've had it in since 2016, and it's actually created, um, I think, 1.6 stoppages per game. On average. That's it. That's it. Okay. 1.6. So there's, you know, there's 1.6 times where it, was, where it was stopped to look. Here's the issue that you get into. And I think the league will feel this out like they do in a lot of preseason stuff. Remember last year we were all freaked out about how much helmet-to-helmet crap was being called. And then it just kind of dissipated over the season because they knew what they, the way they were calling it was just unrealistic, right? So here's the one concern. Anytime you score, which is already the joy out of scoring touchdowns has been taken away because everybody's got to sit and, you know, sit on their hands to see if it's really a touchdown because it's reviewable. Anytime you go into review, regardless of what you're reviewing it for, now you've opened up the OPI and the DPI. So you can look at a touchdown that's clearly a touchdown, both feet in bounds, receiver has control of the ball. But as you watch that play, you could say, wait a minute that receiver pushed off a little bit to create that separation on the sideline. And so what was a touchdown was called a touchdown. You're just reviewing to see, make sure we got both feet in, and they maintained possession of the ball throughout the catch. Now all of a sudden you can say, "Uh uh-oh, guys, upon further review, yeah, his feet were in, yeah, he maintained possession, but he pushed off. That's a 15-yard offensive pass interference call. Now it's, again, third down and 21 you know from the whatever yard line like that's that's what you're getting that's the box that you're opening up now you've got to understand this is a one-year kind of trial period so this isn't a permanent rule this is on a trial basis so they're going to see how this rule pans out the effect it has how much has been changed and then they'll reevaluate so they changed the kickoff rules. Remember they changed the kickoff rules and you have to have eight guys within this fifteen yard box, right? So it starts ten yards away from the ball and it's a you know, it's a it's a fifteen yard box. You gotta have eight guys in there, otherwise it's a violation. They also you you think about how they have each each got guy, five guys on each side of the kicker. You can't overload one side or you know, so they've changed the rules. You've got to be within one yard of the line of scrimmage, you can't get a running start with the kicker anymore. Like, all these rules, like, that was a trial period as well. And this year, to very little fanfare, they made it permanent. They're like, we like this rule. Concussions were down, you know, 36% or whatever it was um, on, on these particular plays. So we like what we've done with this rule. The you know, punt return is going to be the next thing that we do. Um, you know, and they'll, and they'll change some of those punt return rules as well. So... Um, I think one of the things they may change in that, Mike, is at the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I can Was it you get free release at the line of scrimmage except for the gunners, so you can't block guys on the line of scrimmage, and right. yeah, you know, and so there'll be it, it will. And the reason that that would affect the rule is it would eliminate a bunch of punt returns. It make it make guys fair catch. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons right. there's a lot less injury in on the kickoffs is because, you know, what percentage? 60% of them are touchbacks, and there's only 40% returns. So if if you go from, you know, punt returns being you're returning 80% of the punts to you're returning 40% of the punts, it's going to significantly reduce the injuries. And so I think that's one of the rules you may see, not this year, but I say in future years you may see that come into play as well. To significantly hinder and clear and obvious. Get ready. That's what you're going to be hearing a lot of. So, we'll see. We'll see. Let's just. Let's just. I. I just hope that the spontaneity of the game. It, it's. It's already bad enough, Mark, that you know when you're watching a game from the stands or in your living room, and a, a touchdown is scored, and it's one of those touchdowns where, hey, you know, it was close to the sidelines or close to the end of the the back end of the end zone, or maybe there was some. You you know, uncertainty about whether or not the ball hit the ground. You can't really just spontaneously celebrate. It's all like, you know, somebody's in that room going, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, we've got to watch the replay. And, you know, you're talking about some scenarios where it could be what looks to be a wide-open touchdown catch, and there's still going to be that element of, hold on, hold on, hold on, got to make sure that there wasn't obvious pass interference to allow our guy to get open to score that touchdown. So it's just, I just worry that... The spontaneous nature of being able to celebrate what our favorite teams do is just being sucked out of the game. I I worry about that, and and that was raised. That was a you know something that was raised. I think uh, Aikman raised that in the in in our meetings, as did Joe Buck, talk about the lack of spontaneity, the lack of being able to celebrate. Like the Pandora's box you're opening up there takes joy away from being there from the moment. Uh, I think the other thing that you're gonna have to worry about is this. Are we pushing players because I know coaches will try to take advantage of this, Mike, because I just know how coaches are and I've been there. Will we start coaching? Um, will we start coaching football, especially in scoring situations or in pivotal situations? Will we start coaching it like soccer and like you know, and like NBA basketball? Or we're just gonna start taking the fall, right? I mean, we're going to be a bunch of actors out there, so hey guys, whenever you get in an end zone situation and there's a bump of contact and the guy if he catches it, fall you know, fall, throw your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care, you know. I mean, it's going to be like there's going to be some acting. We've already seen it with receivers. Every time a receiver. Gets hit or drops, one, flails his arms in the air like, oh my yeah, god! I can't. you know, starts doing the imaginary. Throw the flag! Throw right, the flag! Throw the flag, you know? throw the flag! I've been touched! I've been violated! You know, <laughs> <That's> I mean. <laughs> um, so, you know, how much how much flopping are we gonna see yeah. on both sides of the ball, trying to draw flags? So, yeah, I like we used, to, we used to we talk about it all the time. When I played offensive line for the the Denver Broncos. We used to, call, we used to ke- coach what's called, like what holding you can get away with, what you, holding you can't get away with. We're going to coach it the way it's called. There used to be a day when you get a guy on skates, man, you could flat back his ass, yeah. right? Anytime you take a guy to the ground that's a defensive lineman now, they call it holding 100%. And that started when I was playing. And so eventually we started going, hey, guys, you can't take guys to the ground anymore. So as soon as you get to the point where that guy's about to fall, disengage with him. Then if he falls, he, he falls on his own. But you can't pile drive a guy anymore. Like we, we got to the point where we're coaching, hey, on this particular play you can, you can you know, we used to call it a, a tug or a jerk. You can tug a guy or jerk a guy down here. As long as you get your hands out, they don't call that any. So that's another thing that's going to, and this is another rule that's going to that's gonna really come to effect. They're going to start calling holding away from the play. So there's a lot of little tugs and grabs and stuff that was coached for years and years and years. The backside of plays to kind of get yourself through the line of scrimmage. You tug a guy, you pull yourself through, you do some things like that that now are going to be called holding on the backside away from the point of attack. Where it used to be, let that stuff go because that guy's not going to be in on the play anyhow. Now it's going to get called. So that could really slow down and and kill drives as well offensively. So... um That's another little interesting, a little interesting rule change on the backside of running plays. All right, well, let's just, just, you know, friendly reminder: get ready for it for the next month. Preseason football, you're going to get a lot of flags thrown. You're going to get frustrated. Just Mm -hmm. remember that once we get into the regular season, they will ease off, and it, it won't be as prevalent. But get ready to get annoyed. Get ready to get frustrated. Get get ready to worry about your favorite game over the next few weeks because it's going to happen. Yeah, and I, I tell you the other thing that, like, fantasy owners, get ready. Your guy catches a touchdown. You just won your fantasy game, right? You're about ready to win your fantasy league. Oh, wait a minute. Upon further review, that was offensive <laughs> pass interference. Uh. Like, that's going to piss some people off, right? You know it. You know it. Well, and, and by the way, nobody cares about your fantasy team, but you care about you your care, fantasy yeah, team exactly. a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Well, man, have fun in Alaska. I will. Say hi yeah. to poolside for us. I will say hi pool poolside. I'll probably, you know, hunt bear naked with a switch. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. I just come around out yeah. there, you know, butt naked going, berry, 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 yeah. berry, 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 bear. Come get some. That's right. Schlereth, back in the wild. Return to the wild. That's right. I'll rub salmon all over my naked body and then come (laughs) get some. Do a little bear wrestling. It's always fun to go home. It's always fun to see the folks, you know? (laughs) That's always a good time. Oh, well, good. We'll do a little fishing with the kids. Yeah. For me, very little fishing with the kids. Very little fishing with the kids. We'll catch some salmon. I'll send you some pictures. Oh, send me some salmon. Box up some salmon and mail it. That, I. I'll not ma- I'll bring it, but bring I'll bring it. you some sand. Yeah, bring me some sand. Oh, yes, please. All right. All right. All right. Hey, for everybody involved in the Stinky Truth Podcast, we thank you so much for our presenting sponsor, the fo- fine folks over at Cool Water, HydratewithCore.com for more information. Uh, I'm going to be gone for a week, so uh, you can listen to this multiple times. Share it with your friends and your family. Uh, if you don't like it, don't tell anybody. And uh, we'll be back with you uh, as preseason continues to roll along. The NFL, it's back, guys. The Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Thanks for listening.